0: Welcome to Accent on Mercy Alumni, brought to you by the Alumni Office at Mercy High School, Farmington Hills, Michigan. I'm your host, Associate Principal Larry Baker. Today's guest on Accent on Mercy Alumni is Mary Wally, Class of 2009. Since graduating, Mary states that she has been living by the motto We make the road by walking. While she is currently walking in Berlin, Germany, where she is gra- balancing graduate school, an MA in global history, and working for a US based nonprofit called NADA, the National Acu- Acu Detox Association, and learning a new language and culture. Though <laughs> so she came to Berlin to study global history, her MA thesis research has brought her right back to Michigan. Mary is trying to disclose both the violence violence, and silences of colonial archives in constructing Detroit history in the early 19th century. Before moving to Berlin in 2017, Mary had been living in New York City, working at the intersection of criminal justice reform, the arts, and youth development. A student of history since her Mercy days, Mary learned, earned her B.A. in history from the University of Michigan in 2000. 13. And it's great to talk to Mary, who is in Germany today. Yes. Greetings, Mary.
1: Hi. <laughs> great to be here.
0: <laughs> Gosh, your academics uh, sounds so interesting. Yeah, I get global history totally, but I'm not surprised that you pursued it. But um, <laughs> why, how did you end up in Berlin, Germany, studying it?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It's a bit of a multi-layered story. Um, but I mean, first of all, there's um, this very well-known program here in Germany, in Berlin, specifically at the Free University, Freie Universität, um, that is uh, specifically a global history master's. Um, And so uh, one of the kind of pioneer names in this global history approach, Sebastian Conrad, he started this master's, and I found out about it um, while I was in New York, and I wanted to... I was interested in kind of trying out academics again because I'm thinking about doing a PhD. Um, But I also wanted to live abroad and try to um, live outside the US for a while. I had always wanted to do that, and I I think a friend had suggested looking into MA programs abroad as a a way to do that. And so I was interested in Germany, and I then I was looking at programs, and I found this one in Berlin, Um, and I'd never been. To Germany or Berlin before, and I didn't speak any German, um, which was a bit of a crazy, <laughs> crazy decision, but uh, it all kind of felt right, and in the end fell into place, and um, so I decided to make the move, and I also wanted to learn German, and um, Berlin is incredible, so it, it kind of trusted my gut uh, and supported by a lot of people and uh, national structures to, to, to do that.
0: That's that's fantastic that you took that leave and what you're studying is just sounds so fascinating. Uh, Maybe because I'm so ignorant about the 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 topic, but um, in the introduction I referenced that you would were making disclosures, researching uh, disclosures about uh, Detroit's history in the early nineteenth century. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, uh, where does one go for the, the this information yeah, yeah. and uh, I would love to hear what you've discovered so far and in, uh, in a nutshell if you can
1: yeah um, I will try to nutshell it uh, well I guess <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a <laughs> that's, yeah I'll do my best I was been thinking about that Um always thinking about how to, to share uh, in a nutshell but um, actually it's uh, interesting you asked like where and also what I've been learning I've tried to move away from language of discovery, because that's pretty loaded, especially when you're talking about indigenous history um, and North American history. Um, but um, the, yeah, so so where I've gone to this point is to like the uh, basically state-established archives. So there's um, a main archive, or there's a, a set of archives in Detroit, uh, the Bentley, um, that's the, the Oh, now I'm going to forget the name. There's some archives in Detroit um, as well as a really big archive on the state history of Michigan in um, Ann Arbor, the Bentley Historical Library. Um, And then there's this um, kind of very large conglomeration of our uh, documents called the Michigan Pioneer Historical Collection. And a lot of that is actually available online. The actual documents themselves are held in a variety of places. Um, but what um, I have I learned through initially kind of going to these archives, where like being trained as a historian, we were taught to, you know, you go to the archive to like learn the truth and to, um, and then you go write your history from these archives and what's recorded there. But what I, found pretty quickly when I when I went to the archive, I was uh, in Ann Arbor and as well as went to the Detroit Archive was how much wasn't there. Um, and then that got to me thinking about why. Um, so, but I, I think it'd be maybe best to illustrate that kind of like abstractness with two stories. Um, so, well, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess, mm, yeah. So I'll I start with a story. So in the in in Detroit, um, in 18, so we'll go back in time, right to uh, 1820 in Detroit. This um, is a a pretty small um, town of about a couple thousand people at this point. Um, the U.S revolution, uh, 1776, of course, had happened and the the government, the U.S., the young U.S. government was trying to establish power in this region because in reality, the U.S. government really didn't have any. Um, It was a nascent entity itself. Um, And so who really was in control politically and economically was the Anishabi people, um, a very large, complex um, nation. Uh, there's an incredible book called Infinity of Nations by Michael Witkin if you want to uh, learn more about the Anishabh people. And so they controlled the whole Great Lakes region. And um, But there's this story that I came across um, in one of the Michigan historical pioneer collections um, of uh, uh, an Anishabi chief who was in, like, near Detroit, and how there was um, a white woman is like kind of later in the 19th century sharing her recollections of like Detroit in the early 19th century. And so she talks about this chief who had been um, captured um, for supposedly the wanton murder of um, a white man in Detroit. And so he's supposed to be hung um, on... gallows that had been erected in um 1820 for the execution of two other native men so he's taken into custody and um before he's able to be executed by the state which has claimed this power or this monopoly on on violence the like making the decision like, oh, you can die and you get to live um so before that happens uh according to this woman's memories uh People, a group of his women or followers, it's like different, there's a couple of different people who share this story. Um, Say so They come to the jail and they uh, deliver a poison and he commits suicide before the state is able to kill him. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, so so this is a, an example of one of those stories that I'm working with. Um, and also like the complexity of trying to um, yeah relook at the story because so a lot of the history of Detroit has kind of um, until recently has taken um, for granted some of these stories and so what I'm trying to do in line with a lot of other people um, is look again at like what do we understand then from this story and also like what what uh, function did the story play? Like, why was this story in the archive? Um, And so Mm -hmm. my kind of interpretation of that is that this uh, story um, for the people who recorded it at the time, um, the people who then founded these like state archives that I'm now going back to look at um, was that in the end, this native person is killed and is dead and is gone. Um, and so this fuels the idea of the vanishing Indian and, um, of this, of U.S. dominance in the region being inevitable, um, when in fact it wasn't then. And also, um, yeah, yeah, so, um, <laughs> I hope that's helpful, um, but yeah, what I'm, uh, yeah, trying to do or what? Like what I've really like learned um, so far is just how um, deeply indigenous a place Detroit is, um, and how that's been obscured by archives and historians both in the 19th century and up until recently. Like the, for example, I had never thought about Detroit or Michigan really as an indigenous place. I didn't know that. Um, there, are, there are, I, I learned that genocide, like the genocide of Native people in North America was a thing that happened in the past and that it was done rather than something that is ongoing and continue to obscure that people, Native people are still here and they've recorded their histories in their own ways um, and uh, non-Native settlers have mm, written Native people out of our U.S. history um, on purpose.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, could you take a few moments and tell us about this this other passion of yours? I'm catching you late in the afternoon in uh, Germany, and you were telling me you had many uh, phone calls to make on behalf of NADA, uh, the National uh, Accu... Detox Association. Can you tell us uh, about how you got involved with this uh, nonprofit and what it Yes, uh, absolutely.
1: For? Uh, NADA, I guess to start with what NADA is, is a membership um, association of people who are using and practicing the NADA protocol. Um, and the NADA protocol is an ear acupuncture and acupressure, um, standardized ear acupressure protocol. Um, that was developed in the 1970s and 80s in the South Bronx in response, a community response to the substance um, epidemic. And um, so it's a very low cost um, uh, um, yeah, acupuncture, uh, ac- acupuncture protocol that um, was originally kind of about helping folks. Uh, one piece of helping people through um, detox, but since NADA has been, um, is now used all over the world, there's NADA Germany, for example, and um, there's NADA Denmark and Philippines and Japan and in India. And um, so folks are using this really simple protocol in lots of different spaces. And it's really, we've uh, learned since the 80s that it's very helpful also for folks like moving through Trauma and in this world, who isn't traumatized? Um, so I, I think of it as just really helpful in kind of any healing process. Um, all that to say, uh, how I got involved um, is, is also a very interesting story. I um, I know um, I knew the executive director um, from a program I did while at what the University of Michigan called the Prison Creative Arts Project. Um, and we met um, at a gathering of associates, um, PCAP associates, um, in 2015, and we started working together on like a newsletter for um, for this uh, for PCAP, the person Creative Arts project. Um, and then from then we just kind of became friends and, uh, later on when I was living in New York, the founder of Nada, he also, I was living in Harlem and he lived in Harlem. His name is Michael Smith and, um, he, uh, needed help. He was getting older and just, um, couldn't leave his apartment. So I just need some help. And so I, um, uh, would help him. I got his mail and just kind of helped him out a bit. And then, um, Fast forward a bit, uh, there was kind of a position opening up and uh, my friend Sarah asked if I was interested in working for the organization. I was like, absolutely. Um, Because I, so I would like kind of, I'd gotten to know Mike a little bit and then went with him to uh, their national conference um, in Delaware, because one of the main things they do because they've got members that are all over North America is hold a national conference Uh, every other year and so I was there in Delaware and that's when I like really kind of uh, learned about what NADA was Um, because I'd like Sarah had told me and like I talked a bit with Mike but um, when I like heard from so many people who are um, using this protocol in so many different ways then it like made sense and I got a treatment myself and then because I had never done anything like uh, acupuncture or Anything like this before? Um, it was kind of like a whole other world I wasn't um, familiar with, but because um, that's how it started. Um, yeah, and it's yeah, it's become. A, I'm now trained also as another a, a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh,
0: that's fabulous. Well, before we conclude, uh, would you oh my care gosh. to share a um, mercy memory or two?
1: So many. <laughs> Um, I guess, well, on th- the, the, the history theme, um, I, I still, oh my gosh, uh, I have this very clear memory of a button on, uh, Mr. Schusterbauer's wall. It said, uh, question everything. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, that. I think, yeah, that, um. For me, a lot started in that class uh, in learning about a a critical history of the United States. Um, But then also, like, uh, I just, yeah, uh, I was thinking earlier today about um, just all of the support and enthusiasm that I um, got from both my fellow students and teachers who were passionate about making the best classes for us and I I definitely loved my English and history classes the best um, uh, which showed up later in my life but um, yeah yeah <laughs>
0: Thank you for thank you for sharing that Mary it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I'm such uh, interesting... yeah thanks so
1: much for having me it uh, was really great to hear from you. And thanks for the invitation on this.
0: The music on Accent and Mercy Alumni is performed by concert pianist Giulio Siciliano, class of 2001.